Episode 32 of Contested Catch, our fourth episode of Season 2. We're talking NFL draft grades today, draft fantasy impacts, and taking a look at teams' total outlooks as a whole going into the 2020 NFL season. But first, I have to welcome back our co-host and data specialist, Jeff Gould. We missed you on Episode 31, my friend, our episode with Chris Chapasso. If you didn't check that out, uh, it's still up, obviously. And uh, But Jeff, I want to know, how have you been? What have you been up to during this quarantine? Hey, Will, great to be back. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely disappointed I missed that podcast. It was re- it was a great one, and I loved you guys like discussing your thought process behind your rankings and um, you know, tiering players based on positional value. So, absolute fantastic episode. Um, on my end, I mean, things are going well. I went home for a little bit to just kind of chill during this, but back in D.C., Saving the economy one graph at a time still, but uh, <laughs> and uh, just starting to ramp up the uh, football analysis. What uh, what does the money printer say? <laughs> Good stuff. Well, I, I'm glad. <laughs> money I'm glad. computer go beep boop. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm I'm glad that uh, everything's going well with you, and I'm glad that you enjoyed episode 31. It was a good episode. If you guys, it was re- what was one thing that was really cool was that Chris Chapasso, obviously of CBS Sports. Uh, NFL draft Nick loves the bills as well. One thing that was really cool was that he said he has never been asked or was able to discuss the thought process behind uh, how he grades prospects. So that was cool. There's some really good content on there. So make sure to check that out. Uh, it's been a few weeks since the NFL draft now. I mean, we're recording this at the end of May. So, you know, draft was obviously towards the end of April. Uh, that time I took to take a breath digest all that happened around the NFL draft, obviously with quarantine and stuff, work, life, everything's been crazy, but we're finally back, uh, compiled my NFL, my final NFL draft grades, which we're going to talk about today uh, in both NFL perspective, uh, NFL context and fantasy. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm really excited to be getting back into the season, Jeff, obviously with COVID-19 still casting an uncertain cloud over the NFL season, there is optimism, but we don't know what's going to happen. There's just a lot of speculation about what may happen in the next few months. So for starters, Jeff, what are your thoughts on, you know, whether we'll have an NFL season or not? And if so, what may that look like? So I personally think that we're going to have a season. A real question is what are the stadiums going to look like? Um, I, I just don't see any way that, um, Every single state with an NFL team is going to allow gatherings of 70,000 people. So in my opinion, I'm guessing that either we'll see empty stadiums, which would be such a weird experience, but also be, be really unique. And I would love to catch some of those hot mics on players. I mean, it would the NFL, I'm sure, would hate that. But I mean, as a viewer, I would love the hot mics of players playing in an empty stadium. Or we could see um, see stadiums with only 10 to 20,000 uh, people. Um, I think Pittsburgh 
uh, hasn't even um, sold single game tickets yet. They're only selling to season ticket holders in the event that they have reduced um, capacity. So that way it's easier to manage. So, uh, but I do think we're going to get the NFL season probably on time or, you know, at the very least close to the beginning of September. Uh, but it's not going to be, the stadiums are not going to be the same as we've known them. Do you think there's going to be any sort of long-term impacts on how we attend games, regardless of sport, honestly, but just, do you see this changing things or is this just a, uh, you know, a bump on the road? I think it's just going to be a short-term bump, um, especially if they are able to develop a vaccine for this, then there's not really going to be any reason for a long-term change. Um, I mean, even if the virus does become like endemic, where it's still part of the daily life, which is not nearly as contagious, or treatments have become a lot better to uh, manage the fatality and the uh, you know, severity of the virus, uh, I, th- I think it's just going to be like a short-term inconvenience, really. But by yeah, I could see football stadiums being full in 2021. That's fair. Um, you know, one thing that's really interesting, though, is I, I think, like I said, everyone's got optimism about this season occurring. But what we don't know is what the offseason will look like, the preseason. And that is so important, especially from a fantasy perspective, in terms of allowing teams to get acclimated, uh, getting important information about how teams are planning to use their personnel. Um, and so first off, I mean, from a fantasy perspective, there's some important, important aspects of this to consider. Number one is which players are going to suffer the most from a limited offseason. And I think those are pretty obvious. They're going to be rookies and players on new teams, especially wide receivers, as Jeff can, can attest to. Um, this is likely to impact them more over the first half of the season than the second half, but it's likely to impact them more than just the average player or average veteran, uh, period. That tells me there will be some interesting buy-low candidates a few weeks into the season-long leagues, and I also think there will be some good values in best ball leagues if drafters are discounting these types of players too much. And Some, some of the fantasy-relevant players that fit this mold uh, are Nuke. DeAndre Hopkins obviously joined the Cardinals this, this offseason. Uh, rookie wide receivers like C.D. Lamb, Jerry Judy, Jalen Ragor, LaVisca Chenault, Justin Jefferson, obviously all highly picked players, very, very talented in the historic wide receiver class. But at the same time, they're rookie wide receivers. They aren't given all the time in the world uh, you know, to develop with their quarterback and develop that rapport. Uh, similar note, Bears pass game, assuming Nick Foles wins the job. If Trubisky keeps the job, I'm not sure you're going to want to have many shares in that pass game period. But uh, moving on to Carolina, Teddy Bridgewater, obviously the new quarterback installed there. They also added Robbie Anderson. That is kind of an interesting stack that you know would be somewhat appealing in best ball um, if we didn't have this limited offseason. But instead, we're probably going to see Teddy Bridgewater become you know Teddy check down some more with Christian McCaffrey, uh, at least in the first half. So I think he's probably going to continue to feast early on even though they're claiming that McCaffrey is not going to see the every down workload that he has in the past in order to preserve him. But then the last one I was going to mention is Austin Hooper and Cleveland. Obviously he had a fantastic season in Atlanta uh, when healthy, he goes over to Cleveland, gets a huge contract, even though they had former first rounder, David Njoku and Kevin Stefanski loves to use his tight ends, especially multiple tight end sets, which is a great uh, personnel grouping to pass out of. 
Austin Hooper is not going to have a lot of time to develop with, with Baker Mayfield. Uh, probably going to be a fade at his current ADP from what I've seen. Jeff, do you think this type of thinking applies to the Buccaneers after they've landed Tom Brady in the offseason? They obviously got Gronkowski back. They have the rapport. But what about guys like Chris Godwin and Mike Evans? Are these guys that we should potentially be worried about? No, I'm not that worried about the Buccaneers. I mean, Tom Brady's been playing forever, so... Um, and I think the offense will probably end up being a little bit of a hybrid of Bruce Arian style with whatever Tom Brady wants to run because he is Tom Brady. Um, you know, I think really from a fantasy perspective is that last year the Buccaneers just had so much volume in the passing game, and I don't really see them you know, repeating that volume. So it doesn't quite matter really that it was Jameis or Tom. It's just that the volume isn't going to be there. And... Um, you know, the targets were highly concentrated between Godwin and Evans, and now you are tossing Gronk in there as well to kind of eat into that target share, and the possibility of uh, more passes going to the running backs. So it's, I don't really fade them because of you know the off season right now. I think it's more just the nature of the offense and math. Um, and I do have a, another point though on how. Um, maybe we shouldn't like over aggressively fade players in you know either like, rookies or in new situations because 2011 was the lockout and there was a shortened off season and then following that shortened off season was one of the most prolific like passing like NFL as a whole passing seasons to date at that time. So on the one side you have on the offensive side you do have less time to for quarterbacks and receivers to mesh and get um, on the same page with the new offense. But on the other side of the ball, defenses are in the same boat. So they haven't had all offseason to coordinate. And if, you know, pass coverages are a little bit softer than what they were, that could make up for the uh, maybe lower chemistry on the offensive side of the ball. And it could actually lead to an um, inefficiency on the opposite and where you want to target the passing game more, regardless of continuity. No, it's a really good point. I mean, we're probably going, you know, if there is a limited offseason, we're probably going to see uh, a loss of efficiency, but that doesn't mean we're also going to see a loss of volume. In fact, we could see something that helps it even out. And to your point, you know, these guys aren't necessarily full-on fades just because they're in, you know, potentially going to be more affected by this. Like, are you really going to fade DeAndre Hopkins? In fact, I mean, he was a guy that I bought low on last year. Um, it didn't really work out for me. But, you know, th- these these are guys that you just have to look at the situation and see what the value is relative to your league. That's why I really like best ball as well, because that can be a little bit more standardized because so many people are using just like the default rankings or the ADP values that are on the site. Um, yeah, well said, Jeff. And uh, with all this said, one thing that is certain is that NFL teams are going to look different based on the results of this year's NFL draft. Like, you know, there are plenty of high impact players that were picked this year. Um, and once this podcast is released, by the time you're listening to this, my grades will be released with it on Twitter. So you can see the full dive into you, just your team or the whole league. Obviously, did write-ups, full grades, everything, um, and, and rankings uh, throughout the 32 teams. We're going to talk through some highlights here, starting with the big winners. And Jeff, NFL draft winners, were, there were four big ones to me. 
I have four A-plus grades, and I'm going to list them in order of ranking, and then we're going to talk through them. So starting with the Cardinals, they were my number one class for back-to-back years. Uh, fantastic stuff from them, at least in my opinion. The Saints were number two. That's obviously great for their ability to stay uh, contending. The Bills came in number three. I know we're happy about that, and uh, I don't think there's a lot of buys. We'll, we'll talk through that one. And the Cowboys were number four. So starting back with the Cardinals, Jeff, uh, we really saw something special out of this class, I think. And one thing I did do was factor in some of the uses of draft capital on you know, veteran players. Uh, but before we get into who that was, which is pretty obvious, we already mentioned him, uh, the, their first pick was Isaiah Simmons. Jeff, you and I talked a lot about Isaiah Simmons on this podcast leading up to the draft. You know I was borderline obsessed with him. He's my number one ranked prospect. That's in a pro- the class that included Chase Young, Joe Burrow, and Tua Tagovailoa. Uh, the Cardinals get him at eighth overall. And to compound that value, because that's a that's a big value to me. I gave that an A plus grade. They also got Josh Jones, offensive tackle, seen as a first round prospect by many, uh, myself included. He's my 24th ranked overall player, uh, fifth ranked offensive tackle. They got him at 72nd overall. Jeff, thoughts on getting such pivotal players on both sides of the ball for the Cardinals right off the bat? I'm agreeing with you on how like good they nailed it. Um... I think huge mistake by the Panthers on passing up Simmons there because the logic was they felt like they didn't have enough veterans on their team to like make use of his skill set like for this time being, which is just like crazy lack of um, logic uh, to me. And then yeah, Jones. Um, you know I do think we need to be a little careful sometimes on calling players steals be, just because we are. Um, you know, we are working with imperfect information from the outside, and you know, maybe there were some like character issues or something that you know, or off field. I, I I'm not saying he does, but there's just so many other variables that could have caused him to slide for a good reason that we just didn't know about. Um, you know, or like Hakeem Butler, that take take him last year, somebody that many people had as their wide receiver one or like a first or second round player. And then he goes, um, you know, fourth round draft pick. Nobody's calling him a steal because he's not good. So um, I do think, though, that Jones is a better player in this regard than Butler was. And if he does, uh, like, play up to his on-field evaluation that many people had for him of being a possible first-round tackle, it'll really uh, shore up the offensive line that was a huge question mark for the Cardinals last year. Yeah, I think I think you hit the nail on the head here. Uh, Josh Jones, the reason I was so thrilled with this pick was not only because I had such a high ranking on him, uh, but because the only thing that would have, and I included this in my write-up for, for the Cardinals draft here, uh, the only thing that I would have wanted them to do besides take Isaiah Simmons with him on the board was potentially go after Tristan Wirfs, who's my sixth overall player in offensive tackle one. Because when you get Kyler Murray and he's running for his life all the entirety of his rookie season, you need to get someone there who's going to you know pass protect for him. Um, and, and someone with great athleticism, this class is loaded with them. Um, so I think that they got that value in the third round as a guy who could potentially come in and start right away. I don't know for sure. Um, but going back to their second round pick, which they obviously traded to the Texans for DeAndre Hopkins. And that is something that is just, I mean, it, it's ridiculous. We don't have to get into that entire trade, but obviously you now add, a wide receiver one, which is the other thing that they could have potentially done at eighth overall, getting Kyler Murray's former favorite target, CeeDee Lamb. 
they still, I still think it would have been crazy if they did that after the nuke trade. So right. you just rolled up. You roll out DeAndre Hopkins, C.D. Lamb, Christian Kirk, Larry Fitzgerald. <laughs> that would have just been like Andy absurd. Isabella. Yeah, Andy Isabella. Like that would have just been an unreal wide receiver set. But I mean, they still had a, a fantastic draft. And yes, that trade from by Houston was absolute like insanity. Yeah. I, I mean, and the fact they were able to dump David Johnson's contract on them. Um, and get DeAndre Hopkins. Like, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> I know. Uh, it's easily, like, the best move of the last trade of the last five years, if not decade. Yeah. And, you know, it, it did uh, kind of depress the value that the Bills got with Stephon Diggs. Um, I talked a little bit about this with Chris Passo from CBS Sports. Obviously, like I mentioned, Bills guy. Um I still think the Bills had a, a great trade with Stephon Diggs and got him for a good price. It just doesn't look as good when Bill O'Brien is is shipping DeAndre Hopkins off for nothing. Um, but alas, Cardinals fantastic draft. To recap, first, uh, you know, the first pick, defensive centerpiece and best overall prospect in the draft, in my opinion. Um, the second round pick turned into DeAndre Hopkins, elite wide receiver in his prime to help their young QB, and then the third. Third round pick, a first round value at a huge position of need to protect the young quarterback. I mean, I don't know what else you could ask for. Another great draft. Um, moving on to the New Orleans Saints here, Jeff. Another A plus, second overall uh, class grade in my opinion. They they had four total picks in the draft. The first three were all A graded by me, and that's because I didn't grade uh, I didn't grade any picks that involved prospects. Or, or picks outside of the first three rounds, rather. Um, first pick, 20th, 24th overall, got my 20th overall player, Cesar Ruiz. My interior offensive line won. I mean, what can you ask for besides protecting the interior of an offensive line for an aging quarterback who struggles against interior pressure? So, great move there uh, and, and a good value. Zach Bond was um, the, their second-round pick, 74th overall. My 46th-ranked prospect, this was another really good value, a versatile pass-rushing linebacker I think the Saints are going to do a lot with him and they had a need at linebacker too so that was fantastic and then honestly Jeff this turned into one of my favorite prospects in a in a, such a weak tight end class but that was Adam Troutman he's my 70th ranked player they got 105th overall they traded all their day three picks basically except for one um and they got him at a plus value of 35 obviously that's the pick that they got him at minus my ranking Adam Troutman, a really interesting, versatile, complete tight end package. Uh, coming out of Dayton, this is a guy, I think, if Breeze gives it one more year after this one, I think by then Adam Troutman is going to be their number one tight end. Uh, even if they turn it over to someone else, I still think Adam Troutman is the guy, no longer Jared Cook show, uh, moving into 2021. So, um, But moving on to the Buffalo Bills here, Jeff, our third Ranked class, no home cooking here. Let's just recap the picks first. First, first round pick, traded for Stephon Diggs. Second round pick, drafted edge rusher AJ Panesa. Third round pick, running back Zach Moss. Fourth round pick, Gabriel Davis, wide receiver out of UCF. And fifth round pick, Jake Fromm, quarterback from Georgia. So starting with the top, Jeff, we we both love the Stephon Diggs value to trade your first round pick. Make a great decision, in my opinion, and rather than drafting a rookie wide receiver, uh, and then end up at 54th overall and getting 
another first round value. In my opinion, AJ Panesa is the 15th best player in this class. He is fantastic. I gave that an A, a plus grade. Uh, thoughts on just getting a Panesa at 54th? Yeah, uh, not a sexy pick in my opinion. Uh, I was a little bit lower on him than you, but you know, more like an early second round grade just due to the um, underwhelming testing, uh, which I mean does matter somewhat because a lot of the first round, uh, like you know, consistent stud edge rushers do tend to have that plus athleticism, but. Uh, no, I, th- I think at 54, Apenas is a fantastic value there, especially when early before we traded um, the pick for Diggs, he was a popular mock draft pick to us at 20, what, 21 or 22. And 22. then, yeah, 22. It was a very popular to mock draft Apenasa to the Bills at 22 and then go wide receiver at 54. Now, instead, we're going Diggs at 22 and then getting Apenasa at 54 still. I think you know, that's fantastic. Yeah, you uh, really, really couldn't have asked for anything better, in my opinion. Yeah, and then we drafted Zach Moss in the third round, and I was like, mm-hmm. eh, whatever, it's fine. Um, yeah, I was really disappointed. I think I was probably more disappointed that the Raiders drafted Brian Edwards right ahead of us because I was really hoping we would have been able to draft him there. That probably wasn't even going to be our move, even if he was on the board. So I guess maybe that makes it better, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, Zach Moss is fine. Um, I don't think he's anything special. But he complements Singletary's run style well. Um, but I don't think he'll you know, significantly move the needle on offense either way. Yeah, I think the Moss pick, I actually graded it as a B grade individually. And that was by far the highest graded running back pick in the first three rounds. The reason being, the Bills traded back to get to 86th. Then they took Zach Moss, who's my 78th ranked player. So that's a plus value of eight. There were no other plus value running back picks. Um, And that's partly because I don't see running backs as being that valuable. Um, But Zach Moss is a good one. I mean, he's my RB4 for a reason. He's a great tackle breaker. He's got receiving skills. He's got elusiveness. He's durable. Um, I really liked this landing spot. I wish they would have gone a different direction 86 than, you know, I would have loved to get him later. But at the end of the day, they didn't reach on a running back. In fact, they traded back. Uh, well done Buffalo. I mean, this is, this is how you should go after running backs. I'm a little disappointed as well. Something I mentioned uh, to Chris on episode 31 was that, do we really want to invest another third round pick in a running back after doing it last year and getting a good one? You know what I mean? Like, do we need an, a second running back that bad? I would have much preferred uh, a couple of the wide receivers still on the board, but I think Zach Moss is going to be good. Je- uh, Jeff, what is your thoughts on this Jake Fromm selection? 167th overall. He was my 66th ranked player. You know, what do you think we get in Jake Fromm there? Um, a better Nathan Peterman. <laughs> uh, basically, when what I mean by that is he's prob. I think he's going to be smart. He'll be able to run the practice offense. Um, he'll, if he has to come into an actual game, he'll know the playbook, know how everything's supposed to run. But he's not going to have the physical tools to really succeed as a starter long term. And um, you know, hopefully, he's—I mean, it's going to be hard to be as bad as Nathan Peterman. So hopefully, he's like, if you need him in a like, uh, you know, relief situation or spot start. You know, he can be more game manager than, you know, throwing it away. 
Um, but I, I really don't see him as anything more than a backup and a career backup with um, you know running the practice team. Yeah, I uh, I don't think you want your backup quarterback to really like try to play hero ball. Mm-hmm. I think you want honestly like a guy like Tyrod Taylor who you know does a lot of things well, nothing great, doesn't turn the ball over, but also isn't necessarily going to like go out and win you the game. I think that's you know if you are forced to go to your backup quarterback, that's the kind of player that you should want, right? Some stability. Hopefully everyone else can step up. Uh, you're, you can't expect to have a, um, a Nick Foles, you know, all mm-hmm. the time to someone come in and lead your team. If, if your MVP caliber quarterback goes down, but the good could news, have had, could have had Cam Newton or Jameis Winston. I, I still, you know, I still would not hate a Cam Newton signing for the bills. Um, I think, especially with this year, with how much they've sold out to win during Josh Allen's rookie contract, and how solid this draft class was, I would love a Cam Newton signing. But my thinking on Jake Fromm, like I wanted a backup quarterback out of this class because Josh Allen, he is so athletic, but he also puts himself in harm's way so frequently that like I mean we saw it against the Patriots, right? He gets knocked out of the game, and then Matt Barkley comes in, and the Bills still had a chance to win the game uh, at, at the end because of how strong the defense played. Yeah, and then and then. And then the next week against Tennessee, mm-hmm. he's on that scramble and has no field awareness and just gets lit up. Exactly. So his brand of football leads him to take a lot of hits. Eventually, those are going to add up. You know, it could just be for a half. You know, hopefully if he gets hurt, it's just for a half or something like that, uh, as opposed to multi-week or even a season-long injury. But it's important to have a good backup. I think Jake Fromm has that in his profile. I think he's going to be a solid game manager. I don't think he's going to go out and win games or win Super Bowls. But, hey, you know, if Josh Allen doesn't work out, the Bills at least have a developmental quarterback prospect who has fought off a lot of really good quarterbacks uh, at his time in Georgia. So one of them might be a top three pick next year, Justin Fields. Um, Moving on, I mean, I think the Bills had a great draft. I'm really excited for that, and I think this season is going to be fantastic. The Cowboys came in just behind them, another A-plus grade, fourth-ranked class, and, man— they just murdered this draft. It was so funny, Jeff, because we're started, We're looking at the Cowboys, you know, what their draft room is looking like. And it is just Jerry Jones on his mega yacht told all the scouts and all the personnel folks to leave him alone during the draft. <laughs> and what does he do? He absolutely murders it. Starting with CeeDee Lamb at 17th overall, my wide receiver one and seventh ranked player. Jeff, what are your thoughts on the CeeDee Lamb pick? Um, probably my favorite pick of the entire draft, especially just like the smug look of Jerry Jones being on the clock right before Philadelphia, knowing yeah. he's not, well, he's besides the fact he's taking like you know, the wide receiver of the future for the Cowboys. He's also just cucking the Eagles with the pick yeah. is, you know, by far my favorite draft moment of the weekend. Um, I mean, I, I think especially purely based on, just the draft picks and not like factoring in trades and whatever. Dallas was, in my opinion, had the best draft weekend. Um, I loved the Lamb pick and then getting Trayvon Diggs in the second round um, at you know fantastic value at a premium position and a position of need. I just absolutely killed it. A hundred percent. Hundred percent. Trayvon Diggs in the second round, he, he was a borderline first-round prospect. I mean, he was 37th ranked overall. Uh, this is the plus value they got, so the surplus value uh, that the Cowboys got with their first three picks. 
plus 10, plus 14, plus 18. And that third pick, Neville Gallimore, 82nd overall, my 64th ranked player. Super, super freak athlete on the interior D line who could be a really good pass rusher down the road. Uh, and then Jeff, and then Jeff, all the way down at 146th overall, the Cowboys end up with Tyler Bietz. I think I'm saying it. I've always called it that. I mean, you're not a pronunciation expert yourself, so I'm not going <laughs> to ask you if I got it right. But, Robert um, Meacham. Robert Meacham. Um, Steve Slayton. Exactly. Um, anyway, Tyler Bietz, my 60th ranked player, interior O-lineman at 146 overall. I mean, the Cowboys' strength for a long time has been their offensive line. And we've been seeing it crumble before our very eyes just to do, do some terrible you know, injury luck. Uh, some of their amazing players are just starting to get up there in years. Illness. But, illness, exactly. Um, this is a really strong pick, and it's a really strong class. They've got four starters, in my opinion, right off the bat. And they got the best wide receiver in the class. They got a really good top five cornerback in the class. They got a really good interior D lineman. And they got a really good interior offensive lineman. I don't know how you could ask for anything better than that from Dallas. I know our friend Joe Aronson, who's been on uh, Contested Catch with us before, <laughs> was thrilled with this play. Um, all right. So we talked about the winners from draft weekend. It's time to talk about the losers. Just like I had four A-plus grades, I had four F grades, especially terrible drafts. Uh, coming in at 29 overall. <laughs> Who'd you say? Kiva. Yeah. Uh, Coming in at 29th overall. Is we'll get an F minus? Huh? Said, is there such thing as an F minus? You know, we were almost there with these, with the last two that I'm going to talk about, Green Bay's included. But 29th overall is Seattle. Uh, honestly, not a surprise. Somehow Seattle does this seemingly every year, and they are still so good. I wonder if it has anything to do with their quarterback, um, Russell Wilson. But Seattle comes in at 29th overall. Honestly, basically just a disaster and it started jeff with them apparently desperately trying to trade out of their first round pick 27th overall apparently that trade fell through in the last minute um and when that happened they said they picked their their top player on their board who is jordan brooks linebacker out of texas tech my 87th ranked player for a plus value of minus 60 i mean it was one of the biggest reaches in the first round, in my opinion. This is a guy who is really athletic, great against the run. The problem is those don't really matter if you're not good against the pass, and he is a liability in pass coverage at the moment. So I thought Seattle kicked it off in one of the worst ways possible. Not to mention, this didn't really address any sort of need. I don't believe in need-based drafting, but it helps when you get someone who's going to come and contribute right away. And then they go into reach on Darrell Taylor, Edge rusher out of Tennessee, my 100th ranked player. At least they got another top 100 guy right, but this was at the 48th overall. Another reach, I think, was kind of set up by their scramble pick uh, in the first. They get Damian Lewis interior offensive lineman out of LSU at 69th. And I'm actually going to shift all the way down to 148th overall, where they actually made a solid pick. Uh, Alton Robinson, Jeff, I want you to talk a little bit about him from your alma mater, or one of them at least. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, Alton Robinson, Syracuse alum. Um, you know, I enjoyed watching him. I thought he was probably like fringe day two, day three. So picking him up in the uh, you know where they did, I think was pretty good value. Um, you know, I, really the more I watched him, like compared to in the the pre-draft process as opposed to just watching him on Saturdays, uh, you know, kind of like 
I don't say it soured on him, but moved him down a little bit. So fifth round, I mean, I think that's good value, and he could become like a good rotational um, edge defender. I don't really see him developing into like a consistent three down starter though. But you know, fifth round is I think really good value on him. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he was my 80th, 89th ranked player, so the plus value here was 59. Uh, that's really good. Honestly, I, I like him better than the guy they took 100 picks before, which is Darrell Taylor. So I actually think the Seahawks are going to look at, going to be looking at him being the better player, uh, even though he's picked 100 picks later. And not, not only that, but we've got a very similar situation with their final pick of the draft, 251st overall. You rarely ever hear me talk about guys this late <laughs> in the draft because uh, they're that down there for a reason. This is my tight end six, Stephen Sullivan out of LSU. Everyone was talking about Thad Moss, Thad Moss. He's, I don't even really think Thad Moss is that good of a prospect. He was an undrafted free agent. Well, guess what? Stephen Sullivan, converted yeah, wide he's, receiver he's prospect. He's Moss's son. I know, I know, right? It's like amazing how those things can buy you a little bit of a... Uh, like uh, Michael Jordan's son. Yeah, Michael Jordan's son, exactly. Um, so Stephen Sullivan, this guy's 6'5", 250 pounds, converted wide receiver. Jeff, he has 98th percentile arm length, 80, 82nd percentile speed, 86th percentile burst. Uh, he didn't do much of anything at LSU, um, except for be kind of a field stretching guy. I mean, he's really raw, but you got him at 251st overall. I think he's going to be better than their 133rd overall pick, Colby Parkinson, who is a big time Stanford tight end product. They've been really good. I don't think he's that good. Uh, besides him being six, seven, that's all well and good. Great. Anyway, Stephen Sullivan, good pick. It doesn't make up for the absolute tank and value that they wasted. You know, they just blew it in the first three picks, in my opinion. Uh, it goes F, D, and then C in terms of grades. And so that punished them, uh, in my eyes at least. So anyways, moving on to 30th ranked class, Indianapolis Colts, another F bomb. Um, the Colts here, they kicked it off by trading their first round pick, obviously well before the draft, for DeForest Buckner to the San Francisco 49ers. So basically, Jeff, we're looking at 13th overall for DeForest Buckner, and then you have to hand him an enormous contract extension. Your thoughts on that value right there? Yeah, I was not a fan of that deal. Um, you know, just interior DL is really not a like high um, you know positional value, and like you said, you're trading a high first round pick for the rights as good as a player as Buckner is. You know, you're still also trading the rights to pay him like you know top of the market deal, and I'm just not about that. Second high, second highest paid player on the interior defensive line behind only Aaron Donald. Mm, I'll pass. I mean, I think you could have just drafted the guy that San Francisco drafted to replace him, um, and saved millions of dollars that way. So, hundred percent, I completely. Completely agree with you. I mean, I, w- I would have definitely taken Javon Kinlaw on his rookie contract over DeForest Buckner. I do actually subscribe to the belief that interior D-line matters. I think a lot of quarterbacks uh, suffer from uh, interior pressure, and I think the ones that can pass rush really well are super valuable. Um, Javon Kinlaw fits in, so does DeForest Buckner, but I just don't think the trade-off is really there. It doesn't really seem like the Colts – like, the Colts have done so – such a good job of getting value in recent classes that this was a really surprising move. I mean, it's not bad, but it's just like, I don't know. Anyway, I'm not going to nitpick too much. I would have probably given that like a B or a C grade because uh, they got a really good player. 
But you get down to 34th overall here, Jeff, and they take Michael Pittman Jr. out of USC, wide receiver. Uh, there were a lot of wide receivers that I liked much more than Pittman, who's my 50, 53rd ranked player, uh, who are still on the board. What are your thoughts on Pittman and his fit with this offense now at the uh, helmed by Philip Rivers? I, I actually really like the fit for uh, Rivers in this offense. Um, I'm, I agree with you that Pittman really wasn't as like, high on my board compared to other receivers available. But I do like the fit because you have T.Y. Hilton on one side who's getting a little bit older and injury prone. And he already said that whatever contract he signs next with Indy is going to be his last one. So you put him on one side and he's still kind of your field stretcher. And you put Pittman on the other side and he's, you know, he'll kind of operate in that intermediate area. And he gives you, um, he gives Rivers that 6'4 frame that can kind of go up and get it similar to what he had with like, uh, Mike Williams over in LA. Exactly. And then you put uh, Paris Campbell in the slot. You know, you get your speed speed guy there. So I really think it actually rounds out the receiving core very well, even if um, Pittman in a vacuum wasn't my favorite receiver there. Yeah, I, I think you're right that the fit is good. Uh, the problem is I don't see Pittman as having that, like, true wide receiver one type profile that a lot of guys still on the board do have like someone like Denzel Mims who could have potentially come in and not only fill that complimentary role with who's already in there, but you know, has the profile to potentially take over as, as rivers or whoever's being the quarterback, um, you know, number one option. So anyways, I don't think it was great value. I gave it a D grade. I like the fit, not crazy about the player. Um, Jonathan Taylor though, Jeff, they trade back up, uh, to get to 41st overall, they get Jonathan Taylor, running back, obviously a fantastic prospect from Wisconsin. He's my 69th overall player and barely RB2 uh, in this class. I gave it an F grade, Jeff. I gave it an F grade. And uh, one of our favorite guys, Evan Silva, talked about how this pick in hindsight is probably going to look good, in quotes, for the Colts because... Jonathan Taylor is probably going to dominate behind this fantastic offensive line, but the value doesn't change here. You took a running back at 41st overall when you have so many more needs, not only that you traded up for him, and you had Marlon Mack. Yeah, I mean, so Jonathan Taylor is my running back one, and I think he will fit the offense great. He's somebody like five, ten years ago. He's going probably in the first half of the first round. Definitely. So, um, you know, at least NFL teams have kind of smartened up in that sense. So, I don't love trading up to get him. I think he will fit the offense well. I mean, putting him behind Quinton Nelson is going to be good for like five yards of play. And he does have uh, you know bell cow profile that he can be either three down back uh, and really just take you know 70 plus percent of the snaps and then let Marlon Mack and Naheem Hines kind of fight for the other 30 percent or so. So, I mean, from a fantasy perspective, which I know we're not focusing entirely on right now, but... From a fantasy perspective, I actually think this is a fantastic spot for him. But, yeah, from a team building, trying to win NFL games, not a great move. Yeah. And, you know, I just didn't really find anything else that the Colts did that. And, yeah, I wasn't enamored with anything. They got Jacob Eason at 122nd overall. That's not a bad spot to get a developmental quarterback prospect with a huge arm that kind of fits, you know, the, the play style that uh, Phillip Rivers has. So maybe that'll work out. I don't know. But I, I'm just really unimpressed with the rest of this class. Uh, I didn't like what they did at 85th overall, getting safety Julian Blackman. I thought there were much better safety prospects on the board. 
Uh, and honestly, Jeff, we talked a lot about Jalen Hurts going into this draft. I was really expecting the Colts to take Jalen Hurts with one of their two first round, or sorry, second round picks. Uh, when they traded up at 41st overall, I thought this was going to be the moment, and then they drafted a running back. And so, anyways, that just kind of solidified a pretty poor grade from me. Uh, but the guys that you mentioned that, you know, right at the offset of this segment, the Green Bay Packers, they came in just short of, our, of my last ranked class, and we'll get into why that is. But another F. Green Bay Packers, man, what a disaster. They start by trading up 26th overall. They take quarterback Jordan Love. What are your thoughts on getting Jordan Love? Obviously, we've talked a lot about Aaron Rodgers, and and obviously the Packers did the same kind of thing when they still had Brett Favre and they drafted uh, Aaron Rodgers at the back half of the first round. So, you know, what do you think about this pick and this prospect? So I'm not wasn't the highest on Love going in. Um, I think the Mahomes comparisons are crazy um, because Mahomes is just special like simply just saying that because he has you know great arm strength like arm strength is not equal Mahomes Mahomes is like a singularity um and the other part that just doesn't make a lot of sense to me right now with this move is Rodgers is more or less tied to you for two seasons you could get out after this season eat like 30 million in dead cap next year you'd free up like three million ish um, and like, you know, roll, roll with the, the new guy if you want. But, um, I think really this draft is almost just like basically saying, trying to take power back from Rogers. You just look at the narrative and media surrounding the team for the last couple seasons. And it's really just kind of been like Rogers, this Rogers, that, oh, Rogers doesn't want to run play action, you know, whatever. And it really just kind of gives the, um, perception that like all right like we're not Aaron we're not the Aaron Rodgers Packers we're the Green Bay Packers we run the team not Rodgers so I don't know I mean I don't think Rodgers is still the top you know eight top ten guy that he was um a while ago but I don't think he is like done as an NFL quarterback either so it'll be interesting to see how he plays in Denver in 2021 <laughs> I uh, love it. Yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty much with you here. I mean, I was kind of conflicted on this pick because, A, like, you are tied to this quarterback. He's still better than what a lot of people have. He's declining. Sure, he's old. Sure, he's got, you know, character concerns uh, and, and the fit with the organization. But at the same time, why did you not try to give him something to work with? Like, in a class that has historic wide receivers, they came away with, no wide receivers, Jeff. And to make matters worse, their second round pick, 62nd overall, they get A.J. Dillon, a run first running back, uh, yeah. so does not have a pass catching profile. And then a 94th overall, they get Josiah DeGura, not very good tight end prospect, uh, and another guy that they was taken before Adam Trout, my tight end too. So very surprised uh, by this draft, <laughs> frankly, by the Packers. Big old cheesy F-bomb, as I said in my uh, in my write-up here. So last but not least, actually last and least, uh, 32nd overall, the Houston Texans, Jeff. Another F. Big old Texas-sized F-bomb. Uh, Jeff, they start by trading their first-round pick, among other things, among their 2021 uh, first- and second-round picks for Laramie Tunsil and the rights to pay him record-setting money. Then they trade... For 
David Johnson's contract, Arizona's second-round pick, and they give up a fourth and DeAndre Hopkins. And then they use that first pick, the first pick in this draft, on Ross Blacklock, my 71st-ranked player. It's a, it's a plus value of minus 31, a D grade for me. And then with their next pick, they take uh, my an un- unranked player to me, Jonathan Greenard. Not a bad edge prospect, but not someone I consider to be a top three-round talent uh, and, get, and get him in 90th overall. There's nothing to look at in this class that I'm excited about. Like, they literally replaced their interior defensive lineman, DJ that they lost to agency. Then they went out and got Brandon Cooks. Like, this is more of a representation of how bad of an offseason Bill O'Brien had running the Texans. And, uh, I mean, frankly, I'm concerned about Deshaun Watson wasting some of his best, best – I mean, you know, quarterbacks can play for a long time. Uh, he's just playing so well and he's so good for his age. And we're just seeing the Texans piss it away, basically. Well, what are your thoughts on, on Houston right now? What Bill O'Brien is doing is borderline criminal. Um, I, I wouldn't – to the point I wouldn't be shocked if he traded to Sean Watson next year because he didn't feel like like paying him uh, top-of-the-market quarterback money. Like, I mean, it's just crazy. You know, Bill O'Brien is probably going to send him off to New England, get fired a year later, and then start working in New England as like a quarterback's coach. Uh, it's, it's just awful. And that yeah, like – the branding, I mean, criminal right there. <laughs> it would be. I guess just look going at like a fancy perspective real quick is I think it does knock Deshaun down from like that, you know, maybe top five fancy quarterbacks still, but not top three. And then, um, I don't know, between Cooks and Fuller, they're both kind of they're a little bit redundant. Um, I think from like a DFS or best ball. Um, I think both are you know really good from a season long. I mean, if one or both of them are able to stay healthy and really command like you know it's 20 to 25 percent target share, either one or both could be like legit fantasy threats. And then um, I mean David Johnson, Bill O'Brien's not going to sit him on the bench. You know he's going to play him like 70 percent of the 80 percent of the time to prove you know try and prove like the legitimacy of the trade. So I think David Johnson really looks like a pretty solid RB2 from fantasy perspective. And as bad as he was running the ball last year, he was still one of the best receiving and route running backs until the back really just kind of sidelined him. So I mean, the fantasy weapons are kind of still there, not to the level that Nuke was. but um, So it's still good offense for fantasy. It's just from a team building, it's awful. Yeah. I completely agree with you. And, and on the fantasy topic now that we've gotten through, you know, the draft winners and losers, we're going to talk about some interesting picks uh, from a fantasy perspective at all the major fantasy positions. And starting with our early round running backs, let's start with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Obviously, we didn't mention the Chiefs at all. 32nd overall pick. This is, this is a, we're just not even going to focus on the, the value that, that any of these picks warranted from, from a draft perspective. But specifically, Jeff, is Clyde Edwards-Hilaire the rookie RB1? And is he approaching an RB1 in fantasy? Uh, so are you saying rookie RB1 for season long or for dynasty, to clarify? Um, let's talk season long. Okay. Um, no, I don't think he is. I think it's still Jonathan Taylor for like similar reasons that I outlined earlier that I think uh, Taylor will really command. And by the, at least by the end of the season, he'll just be the bell cow in that offense. And um, 
I think the rushing efficiency will be phenomenal, and then the check down passes he'll get from Rivers will help buoy the uh, PPR. For um, Hilaire, I kind of see him being in more of a committee than Taylor will because, I mean, Williams is a lot more explosive than him, and I think he could be a better between-the-tackles runner, whereas Hilaire will be more uh, pass-game-oriented and kind of just be, like, you know, satellite back, at least to start. So I, I see that being a, like a lot more of a split backfield than I actually do with uh, Jonathan Taylor. And then I also think J.K. Dobbins, I mean, he's really an injury away from being top five running back in the NFL for fantasy. And if Mark Ingram gets hurt, um, I mean, and he's the RB1 in that Ravens offense with Lamar Jackson, he has the speed and playmaking ability to really just like, catapult uh, your fantasy team to... I mean, I think his ADP right now is like eighth or ninth round. Um, so you, if you can pick him up that late in the draft and then all of a sudden you're getting RB1 returns on him later in the season, I mean, that is just like pure money. Yeah, on Dobbins, I think uh, he's getting a little overdraft right now. I think in best ball, it depends on the site you're looking at, obviously. Uh, I think he was going around like, what was it, like fifth round or something like that. Um and obviously that that varies based on what the what the standard uh, in the number of players is in that in that draft. But still, Dobbins, like you said, has great potential. The problem is I don't really see a year one like great role here for him. Um, they spread the ball around to those running backs a lot. Gus Edwards has remained involved despite having like little to no draft investment. Um, and, uh, you know, there's still Justice Hill, who didn't do a whole lot his rookie year, but has a really strong athletic profile. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's a good it's a good uh, picture you painted there. But a lot of it, you know, requires in year one in, in season long, uh, Mark Ingram to either not be the solid running back he's been uh, or get hurt. But uh, someone we haven't talked about is DeAndre Swift. And obviously he was the second running back taken by Detroit, at 35th overall. Terrible, terrible NFL pick. Uh, honestly, terrible for fantasy, too, because Swift has a really good profile. He ended up being my RB1 mainly because of his really well-rounded uh, you know, skill set. Really strong pass catcher, can probably play the slot. I don't know if he's going to be used that way in Detroit, though. And obviously, they still have on Johnson, who should be healthy for the season, at least to start, because you know, we've seen him be IR injured um, in his first two years. So what are your thoughts on DeAndre Swift uh, from a season-long fantasy perspective? I thought um, it was one of the worst landing spots he could end up in. I think that Matt Patricia really looks at what Belichick does in New England and sees how he's never really had a bell cow and uh, really wants to do like a split backfield, especially with how much Kerryon Johnson's been injured. Um, I don't think that he'll want to invest highly in a running back and then run him 85% of the time and see him break down again. So I think for... Um, fantasy perspective this is like a pretty bad landing spot for him especially for year one um you know long term um actually Detroit especially when Stafford was healthy they were a pretty efficient running team and were really run heavy so if he does end up like commanding bell cow responsibilities especially if Patricia leaves um I I think it could be a good long-term spot for him but uh, you don't really want to like wait one or two years of you know just kind of middling RB two production, waiting for him to like, take over when you have 
your Taylor, Dobbins, <clears throat> and Hole are just like either already looking at the bell cow role or one year, like clearly removed from it. Yeah, very fair. Um, shifting gears over to the early round wide receivers, we have a bunch of them, but I'm going to focus on four, Jeff. Henry Ruggs, Jerry Judy, CeeDee Lamb, and Jalen Ragor. For season-long fantasy, which of these players is your wide receiver one prospect? Um, and is there anyone that you would prefer uh, for like a best ball type format? I think it's probably um, Lamb as my season-long rookie wide receiver one. Um, it, that offense looks to be the most pass-heavy, and I think... Um, even though it's there's a, a lot of uh, pass weapons that make it tougher to command the target share, uh, I just think the skill set matches up really well with Dak. And uh, I think he can slide into the wide receiver two role um, ahead of Gallup and behind Amari pretty easily, especially being uh, arguably the most pro-ready or, he's, you know, pro-ready, um, is pro-ready. Um, then I really like the landing spot for Rager. Um, I just kind of um, think as bad as the wide receivers were, it still looks to be a little crowded to me because you're going to run a lot of 12 personnel with Ertz and Goddard. And then in the wide receiver room, if everybody's healthy, it'll be Regor, uh, Deshaun Jackson is back, and then Alshon Jeffrey. So, um, you know, I I love the pick and landing spot for um, Eagles and pairing up the skill set. And I think... uh, in next uh, the 2021 season, he's going to be a fantastic um, player for fantasy. Uh, I just think maybe this year might have to pull the reins back just a little bit. But I could see yeah. him also breaking out huge in the second half of the season. Yeah, I uh, I like Gregor as a late round flyer uh, and in season long. And the reason is Carson Wentz excels when someone can actually catch the ball downfield, especially when they create separation. I mean, you saw like Aguilar. Yeah, unlike Aguilar. Um, you know, Deshaun Jackson will be lights out. Like, he'll be so good in this offense because that's exactly what Philly needs. But the problem is he can't stay healthy. You know, he had one – he had basically one blow-up game in week one last year, and it made me look like a genius for hammering him all year in uh, best ball. And then it made me look like a fool because he gets injured for basically the rest of the season. So, Gord is really good. I do think Regor becomes this team's wide receiver one. Uh, now, they've still got Zach Ertz. They've got Dallas Goddard. They've got Miles Sanders. The point is, he can have kind of like a Marquise Brown-esque rookie year, which is boomer bust, but could basically wind up like as a wide receiver three. It's just, like you said, a lot of heads in that offense. Um, Jeff, a lot of people have said Henry Ruggs should be this year's rookie wide receiver one. Do you see Henry Ruggs as someone we should be considering uh, outside of best ball leagues in, let's say, the top 10 rounds? And Henry Ruggs isn't even the rookie wide receiver one on his own team. So, no. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. Obviously, you're talking about Brian Edwards. You're not You're not referring to Lynn Bowden. He's probably going to be used as a running back. But I am not. I'm, I am referring to Brian Edwards. I do like Lynn Bowden Jr. as well. Uh, but he's kind of like that. Running back receiver hybrid is how I think Oakland wants to use him. But no, I'm talking about Brian Edwards, yeah. uh, especially in PPR. Uh, I feel like he's going to be like a, just a kind of a target magnet in that short to intermediate range with Carr. Um, I mean, I, 
Gruden's definitely going to draw up some plays to force the ball into Ruggs' hand because you don't spend a, you know the was it 11th overall pick 12th. on a guy to not 12th just to not feed him. But um, I, I think that he's really I think he was overrated. So and then from a fantasy perspective, I think he does have more on-field NFL value than he does fantasy value. Mm. Um, you know, but. Yeah, in a fantasy perspective, I don't have him in like that high this year. Okay. Um, shifting over to quarterbacks, we've got Joe Burrow, obviously first overall pick. Uh, Tua Tagovailo went fifth to the Dolphins, and Justin Herbert went sixth to the Chargers. They all have not ideal landing spots, and t- I mean this is why these teams are picking at the top, right? Uh, none have great offensive lines. All have Decent weapons, I guess you could say that, for Miami. <laughs> you know, you could say Devontae Parker, Mike Gusecki, Preston Williams, uh, kind of okay. Um, but, you know, are any of these guys viable, standard league, one quarterback, uh, you know, targets as a late-round quarterback prospect? I have one in mind, um, but I want to hear your thoughts. Who, Jalen Hurts? Yes, yes, indeed. Um. Not really. I mean, rookie quarterbacks are just usually not the best for fantasy, um, unless they kind of have that Konami code, like we saw Josh Allen at the end of his rookie season, or Lamar when he took over. Um, you know, Burrow has Cam some dude. rushing a bit. Yep, Cam. So unless they really have that like Konami code, I'm not that interested in them, especially as a rookie. Um, uh, I don't really think the landing spots, though, are that bad for Burrow or Tua, especially Tua. Coming off the injury, they have Fitzpatrick um, there so that there's no rush to start him. Um, maybe there was some question about the pl- specific players they added for the offensive line, but they did put a lot of investment in the offensive line this year, and they still have two first-round picks in 2021 to continue building the offense around him, whether it's another receiver or offensive line or both. So I actually think the Dolphins did um, a really good job. You know, again, there's a little, you could argue on some of the specific players um, at the positions they address, but they put a ton into the secondary. They put in money into the in draft capital and the offensive line. So, I mean, as a Bills fan, I don't really like watching what they're doing because I think it's been uh, really good. Um, you know, for the Bengals, it was pretty cookie cutter. You went out, you, you got Joe Burrow, consensus 101, no questions asked. And then you went out and you draft uh, T. Higgins to start the second round. Somebody that we both kind of soured on a little bit, but was also widely viewed as a first round prospect, um, you know, just a few months ago. And he kind of projects decently to... Uh, you know, kind of replace AJ Green on the outside. I don't think he has that ceiling, but similar play style and uh, skill set. So that way you pair him with Joe Burrow and hopefully they can kind of grow together and uh, why you have Tyler Boyd in the slot. So, uh, you know, I think those are some pretty good like, matches. I just, from a fantasy perspective, I'm not really interested in either of them outside of like, you know, two QB best ball type of formats. Yeah, and obviously I think I think Herbert just going to be way too erratic. Uh, he actually does have a Josh Allen, a better athletic profile than Josh Allen did. So there's a chance that Herbert could have some really, really big rookie games. 
but the only one that I'm actually interested in is Joe Burrow. And I just think that people are still discounting like how talented this Bengals offense is. Their defense is not very good. So that's already a good start, right? They're going to be shooting out a lot, I think. Um, but Joe Burrow is surrounded by some really good weapons and some a lot of speed. And if AJ Green's healthy, this starting cast is pretty, frankly, ridiculous. And not only that, but they're getting a lot of talent back on the offensive line who's been injured in years past. Now, if the injury pendulum swings swings in uh, Cincinnati's favor this year and they don't lose, you know, basically all their offensive mm-hmm. line talent or at least like their major players, you know, they're going to get Jonah Williams back, who's uh, 11th overall pick last year, I believe. So, and he, you know, he's going to be a big factor on the offensive line. I think Joe Burrow could be that like late round sleeper rookie quarterback. It's it's not an ideal year for that with limited offseason, but there's so much talent there that like I might just pick, you know, kind of what I did with Mahomes. Anyways, I think that's an interesting conversation. We'll, you know, we'll see if anything changes based on changes with the offseason. Um moving on to tight ends and moving off of tight ends because we should be avoiding all rookie tight ends basically period. Uh, especially with the limited offseason and especially with a really weak tight end class. Instead, what I will say is target some second-year tight ends from Iowa, TJ Hawkinson and Noah Fant. Obviously, Hawkinson, uh, early first-round pick, eighth overall from Detroit last year, and then Noah Fant, uh, the Broncos got him 20th overall last year as well. Both could emerge as preferred second or third options on their teams. They're both extremely athletic. Every down players in 2020, I'm expecting – uh, I think Hawkinson has a better chance to be a tight end one, but I think Noah Fant has a much higher ceiling. There's just a lot of heads in that offense now. They, I mean, Broncos just sold out for wide receiver talent. Uh, it's just, you know, and Drew Locke is, is a little bit of an unknown, whereas Hawkinson has um, Matt Stafford still. So anyway, Jeff, moving on to our final segment here, the draft impacts on our team outlooks. I want to talk about our early love hates on win totals. Uh, which teams' win totals are you loving or hating since seeing who they drafted? All right, uh, let me pull these up quick. I know the Dallas win total of nine and a half is looking really good to me. Agreed. Um, you know, I kind of got burned on them last year, going back to the well again this year. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but. I don't know. It's tough for me to uh, look at that roster again and say, how do they like, not win 10, 11, 12 games? Um, on FanDuel, the line, the juice is minus 150, which isn't great, though, but um, I, don't know, I still like it. <clears throat> Jets over six and a half. I mean, they won seven games last year with Sam Darnold playing with Mono for the first game and having like Luke Falk and Trevor Seaman play for like another five weeks. So... I mean, I don't like Adam Gase, but I think this is a better team than last year. So, and they they won seven games. Uh, so I kind of like Jets over six and a half. I like the Rams under eight and a half. Um, they really don't seem to have a cohesive team building plan. The offensive line was bad last year, and they did nothing to improve it. Uh, we've talked about golf kind of being a system quarterback. I don't like the. I mean, I still think. Uh, Woods and Cup are really good wide receiver ones and twos, but the after that of Reynolds or Van Jefferson is kind of sketch. Um, you know, then on the defensive, also defensive side there, Wade Phillips isn't the coordinator anymore, so you have potential for um, you know defensive discontinuity at the beginning of the season. 
Chargers under eight. I mean, if Tyrod is Tyrod, game manager, good. Um, someone to go out and win the games for you. Eh. And then if Herbert comes in, I really don't have confidence in him. I like the Dolphins over six. Um, like I said, I think they had a, a really good offseason, improved a lot. It seems like they're very well coached. I've heard nothing but like, I mean, it really reminds me a lot of the Bills a couple years ago that they kind of, um, they overperformed their talent and uh, they're building like a culture. So, and then I think you sort of have like a, with the QB situation there, uh, the optionality of like, okay, if Fitz is playing well, you just keep riding Fitz magic until, you know, the train runs out of steam, then you go and you plug in Tua. Or, if, you know, if Tua is just ready right away, hey, now you've got, you know, top quarterback prospect running things. Um, Patriots under nine. There's some juice on that at minus 145. But, I mean, that quarterback, Jared Siddham, are we really that confident in him? Not really. Um, I like the Saints over 10 and a half. Um, that's at plus 100 on FanDuel. So, um, and I think it's really going to be a two-team race there between the Saints and the Buccaneers. Uh, I like threes at this point in their careers over Brady. And also, you know, with some of the uncertainty about, like, you know, the COVID-19 and, like, let's just say Breeze and Brady both ended up testing positive and had to miss two weeks, two to three weeks. Well, on the Saints, they have, you know, two more backup quarterbacks that can play and Jameis Winston and maybe Taysom Hill, who's behind Brady. So kind of looking at, like, for some of these teams that are, like, really, um, you know, reliant on one player, i.e. the quarterback, I like that situation um, more. And then also in a similar vein, I like the Saints for best regular season record at plus 900. Um, you know, I think those really good That's odds. That's fantastic odds. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because like, looking at the NFC, it was really, you know, they're still arguably the best team. You know, 13 and 3 seems very reasonable. And then you just roll on over to. The, I mean, I would take them probably, like, San Francisco has a lot of regression markers because of how much of their success was on the defense and run game oriented. The Packers were, you know, severely outperformed, like, their record. I think they're over-under nine for the Packers, which is pretty low. Um, the Seahawks aren't going to win it unless, like, you know, they're just way too archaic. Um, then, I mean, Dallas, maybe. Uh, but again, I mean, just looking at how Dallas is done. And then on AFC side, it's kind of, you know, looking at the Chiefs and the Ravens. And like I said, if Mahomes or Lamar gets injured or sick and they miss a couple of weeks, that really hurts their chances of, you know, getting the best record. Whereas the Saints kind of have that little anti-fragility built in. So Saints plus 900 to have the best regular season record is a fantastic bet, in my opinion. Yeah, I like that one as well. I just think, you know, I'm basically looking at which teams had really strong drafts, uh, have a really strong core still in place, and I'm also factoring in, uh, you know, some of our early thoughts on strength of schedule. The Saints are kind of middle of the road. They're 23rd ranked, as according to Sharp Football Analysis, um, and had a really good draft. They still have Drew Brees. They've got good quarterback depth, which is one of the most important things you could have. They probably have the best roster um, just across the board in the NFL. You can, you can make a case against that. But um, anyways, I really like that, that pick Jeff, 
one thing I will I want to address is the San Francisco uh, comment about their regression. I think you can make a, a strong argument for that. Um, at ten and a half, minus one twenty for the over. I actually like that bet for San Francisco, um, and the reason is San Francisco's schedule is um, right middle of the road, seventeenth ranked. But they add Trent Williams to replace Joe Staley, who's honestly probably better, assuming Trent Williams is fully healthy and hasn't majorly regressed in his time off. They add Javon Kinlaw, who is going to be really good. I think he's going to make an immediate impact, assuming he's healthy. And they add Brandon Ayuk, who I'm like not that hyped about. Uh, but Debo Samuel is going to take another step forward. George Kittle is still there. The running game is still going to be great because it doesn't matter who the running back is because they've got good offensive line and a great system. I don't really see this team regressing that much in fact i think they actually could be better uh overall now will that translate to wins i don't know the giants are at six and there's a lot of talk about daniel jones you know stepping up in year two kind of maybe doing something like josh allen did uh his weapons were you know just not healthy all at the same time last year this team did get better through the draft i thought they had a really strong draft but they have the 31st worst schedule, or sorry, 31st uh, ranked schedule in terms of strength of schedule. So they're really going to struggle, I think, early on. Uh, they added Jason Garrett. We don't <laughs> be a positive. I, I don't really expect it to be. So I mean, at, Saquon's going to feast, but yeah, Saquon's going to feast for sure. Um, yeah, it's, there's just so many unknowns there that even at six, like I'm not crazy about it. Uh, about you know that win that high of wins um jacksonville at five plus 125 for the over at five i know they've got gardner Minshew. i know they didn't really do much for um at the quarterback position but they are potential like in terms of a team that could really improve their odds they could add cam it's possible not necessarily super likely but they've got a pretty good group of um of pass catchers now, DJ Chark and LaVisca Chenault, obviously a couple others in there that when they're healthy. Um, and their defense is going to be filthy, frankly. You know, they had CJ Henderson, Clavon Chase on. They had LaVisca Chenault on the offensive side. I think this team is better than probably giving them credit for, especially if Gardner Minshew gets an entire offseason uh, being treated as the quarterback one and the, off, and the offense kind of shifts to fit his strength. So, and not to mention they have Jake Gruden as the offensive coordinator now, hopefully kind of bringing it into a like more modern style as opposed to the Tom Coughlin, you know, ground and pound. 100%. Uh, yeah, I mean, I agree with that. Over, what well, you're looking at over five plus 125. Yeah. Yeah, I think those are really good odds because, I mean, a lot of people have them pegged as one of the favorites to be drafting top three. Mm-hmm. Like, it can be in the Lawrence Fields, which I can see it if. But, I mean, Minshew's really just kind of arbitrage Baker Mayfield. Right, so, 100%. Um, no, and five wins is a push. So you're betting on, you know, you know, four wins is not a lot. So you could still be, like, a bottom five, bottom six team in the league and still push and get your money back on it. So then you have plus odds on six wins, six or seven wins. It's not bad. Yeah. Uh, I have two that I want to post to you, Jeff. They are... Arizona Cardinals at seven, even um, over is minus one fifteen, and Buffalo Bills eight and a half uh, over is minus one forty five. Thoughts on the overs on either of those? 
Um, I don't love the odds on the Bills, minus 145. If it was just like even odds, I would definitely take it. Um, I don't love the minus 145, though. Um, Cardinals, I, I, I like seven. Um, I would take the over because, again, kind of factoring the push. If it was seven and a half, I'd kind of be a little more hesitant. Um, you know, I think they're right now, I think they're the third best team in the division. Uh, I would put them above the Rams, below the Seahawks, and below the 49ers. So, you know, seven wins is like the number three team in the division. You know, the possibility of going up to number two is pretty good odds, especially like if Kyler does take that, um, you know, step forward and the offense really just kind of starts airing it out. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I think on the Bills, obviously, we you know, we talk a lot about the Bills. I, I honestly, you know, we talked about this last offseason, and if you listened to our advice, you would have done really, really well. Um, but pushing the line up, because I really think the Bills are going to win the AFC East this year. I know that New England defense is still fantastic, and Jared Siddham's quite the unknown, um, assuming that, you know, if, if New England gets Cam, I will have to rethink things, because assuming Cam's healthy, that could be really, really powerful in New England. Um, but like the bills at over nine and a half, I'd probably just stick with eight and a half at minus 145 rather than pushing to nine and a half or plus 135. But maybe I'd sprinkle in some 10 and a half or 11 and a half, which sounded crazy last year when I was saying 10 and a half or uh, nine and a half for the bills. The point is this team is really, really well built and they're really, really well coached. So those are plus 130 to win the division. Yeah, like, come on, man. Are we really giving New England that much credit because they've got a good defense and Jarrett Stidham? Like, I yeah. know it's Bill Belichick and I know it's McDaniels, but, like, this seems completely ridiculous to me. New England has a slightly easier – or slightly worse schedule than Buffalo. Dolphins have a slightly easier schedule than or, than Buffalo. To me, like, I think I'm going to be hammering the Bills again. And we talked about this last offseason. I really don't think it's that much bias. Like, I think we're just looking at the situation – and the Bills are that much better than the rest of these teams. They're, they, I think they have a better defense than New England. I think New England overperformed uh, based on the talent that they had. And I think the Bills, New England had like incredible special teams luck last year too. Hundred percent. Yeah, the block <laughs> block punts, return for touchdowns. And they just lost. And they just lost the special teams coordinator. There you go. So. Joe Judge. Yeah. Um, anyway. I think that's an interesting conversation. You know, obviously it's pretty early. A lot of things are going to change. A lot of things could change related to the NFL season. But I think that's a good, good primer. And I think you could probably make some early bets uh, and take advantage of some of these, you know, speculative lines, um, you know, as we discussed. So, anyways, in conclusion here, we've got big plans for season two. As Jeff knows, that's a catch huge. is, yeah, huge. huge. Uh, that's a catch is, is, you know, up for even better things this second time around. Uh, if you've been with us this far, you're going to love what comes next. So we're going to be bringing a lot more fantasy content to the table as we get into the heart of the summer. Stay tuned for that. Uh, planning on having some of our great guests return from season one and some exciting newcomers join for season two, as we already have. You know, Rotor World's Hayden Winks. We hope to get back Chris Posser from CBS Sports and more. Uh, they were fantastic guests. And, you know, that's the kind of quality we're, we're hoping to bring you guys. So, um, Jeff, any final thoughts here uh, as we conclude episode 32? Uh, not really. Great to uh, be back breaking things down. Hopefully after this season, you know, maybe we can ink a Rogan-esque deal, exclusive deal with Spotify, though. 
Absolutely. I mean, Is you know, we're really 100, looking, $100 million, I think. Something like that. I mean, we're probably like well on our way there, you know, maybe like 90% of the way where he's at. So uh, the following is strong. <laughs> um, anyway, as you guys know, you can always find us on Twitter at Contested Catch and at Buff Bills Stats. We appreciate you. We're excited to be back. And we'll see you next time.